Well, praise the Lord. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for uh, all the trouble on the meal tonight, all the ladies and everybody and gentlemen who uh, contributed to that. <clears throat> I heard many of you, uh, I heard many of you eat, heard you eat, now I get to hear you sing, so this was good. This was real good. Uh, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would, and uh, again, we're continuing in uh, our view of verse 25 down through verse 28, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 25 down through verse 28. And tonight we want to land on verse 26 uh, for our uh, investigation together. <clears throat> so if you'll look at that with me, uh, of course, context really matters, and the context is Pentecost. And Pentecost is not an add-on, it's not an addition to, it's not, oh, that's nice if you want it, it's not, oh, that's for some people, it's not that, it's an absolute necessity, it's where God is going. Uh, Jesus didn't die on a cross and then wipe his hands and say, hey, that's all I wanted to get done, just wanted to forgive you of your sins, and now you are forgiven, and so that takes care of that, so goodbye. That isn't what he was after. He died upon a cross and rose from the dead, and he didn't raise from the dead and wipe his hands and say, hey... Just wanted you to be forgiven, and I wanted you to be forgiven forever. So I was raised from the dead so you could live forever and be forgiven forever. So that's all I wanted to get done. Have a good time. Goodbye. That isn't what he did. He died on a cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he didn't wipe his hands then and say, hey, that's all I wanted to get done. Forgive you. And so you could be forgiven forever and live forever, and so I could boss you around forever. Uh, that isn't the deal, although we may do that, but that isn't the deal. The deal was Pentecost. He died, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, all for the purpose of indwelling you. The restoration of all the fall is found in the indwelling. And folks, if we don't have that, we've missed everything. That's not an addition. That's the sum total that's not something that's added on. That's the basic. That's the fundamental of the new covenant is to bring us back into intimate relationship with him. Pentecost absolutely matters. So this is, this is the fullness of what he's all about in our lives. And as we get into it, we discover that when this event took place, 120 people received this. And as they received it, there were three to 5,000 Jews hanging around watching this whole thing. And as they saw what was going on, they began to ask the question in verse 12, whatever could this mean to be? How does this apply to my life? How could I get in on this? What, what, is this the new thing God is doing? And Peter, of course, is moved upon by the Holy Spirit and jumps to his feet and uh, is going to give an explanation of what this Pentecost is all about. And his explanation is so, wow, it's like, Man, is there any other explanation it could possibly be? His explanation is Jesus. If you want to know what Pentecost is all about, it's Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be indwelt by God, oh, look at Jesus. Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the epitome. Jesus is what it's all about. Jesus is God. We understand that. But he's not, he, he's become a man he set aside everything he had, didn't give up being God, but set up, gave, up, gave up everything he had as God and became a total man. And everything, think of this thought, everything that distinguishes him from you, every advantage he has over you as God, he set that aside and limited himself to exactly what you have available to you. Oh, 
Let that soak. Get that in your head. The old excuse, well, we got one guy in our church that says, I don't walk on water. Like that excuses everything. That doesn't excuse anything. Because Jesus didn't walk on water because he's God. He walked on water because he's a man filled with God. So the resource by which he does what he does is not his godness, although he is God. The resource by which he does what he does is because he's a man filled with God. That's all over the Gospels. You don't have any choice on that, folks. And Peter stands up in this sermon and says, oh, let me explain to you what's going on in 120. It's the fact that here is Jesus of Nazareth, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man that God literally took the fullness of the Spirit and jammed inside this man and proved this thing in a man. So God proved Pentecost in the man called Jesus, and God literally sourced the life of Jesus, verse 22, the death of Jesus, verse 23, and the resurrection of Jesus, verse 24. Then he comes to this verse 25. We dealt with it last night. He sees his crowd. He sees that they're reacting to this. So he says, oh, let me call on Jesus to come and give his own testimony. And he quotes this messianic psalm. And again, the thing about a messianic psalm is it's as if Jesus is standing there with his lips parting and he's speaking these words to you. Listen to him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. We discovered in Jesus' testimony that he starts out saying, Oh, if you want to know what it's like to be sourced by the Father in your life, sourced by the Father in your death, sourced by the Father in your resurrection, I'll tell you it's a focus. A concentration, verse 25. He says the Father has gotten so close. The Father has become so real. The Father has become so saturated in my life. The Father has become so intimate with me. He's literally gotten in my eyeball. I can't see anything else but the Father. Everywhere I look, it's the Father. I see everything through the lens of the Father. The Father has become my perspective. I march into my world, and instead of having problems and being distracted by my problems... I see those problems through the Father. Whoa. Wouldn't that change everything? He becomes my contact lens. He's the way I view things. He has gotten so close and so intimate in my life that he literally has drawn, always been drawn. And the more I see him, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I want to see him. He just sucked me in. And all the distractions that used to just get, just get me off track, literally, they all draw me to him. C.T. Studd, the great missionary, said, it doesn't matter where the pressure lies. It, only matter, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure lies. See, my thought has always been, if I could just get out of this pressure. Oh, if, this, if they could just get this off my neck. He says, that's not the view. He says, here you are. Here Jesus is. And if the pressure never gets in here, if it's always out here, the greater the pressure, the more it drives you to him. So bring it on, baby. Let's get with it. Because the more pressure you got, the more you're driven to him, and the more intimate you become with him. So devil, heap it on. Let's go. Does that make sense to you? 
That's what he's talking about. Oh, he's in my eye. Now, verse 26, look at this. Therefore, stop right there. Normally, the word therefore means what I'm going to tell you is based upon what I already told you. That's not true here. This is a different word. In fact, oh, this is so exciting. It's almost like it was in the word always last night. You'll remember that always is a translation of two Greek words. One English word translating two Greek words, which is phenomenal. Seldom does that happen. Normally, it's one Greek word, three or four English words. But this time, it's two Greek words translated into one English word. The th word through and the word whole or entire. So what he's saying is all the time I'm being sourced by the Father, during that whole time, the Father's in my eye, always in my eye, always, through, whole. Now the word therefore is almost exactly like that. It's two Greek words translated into one English word, and the two Greek words are through or during and that thing. So what he's saying is this. All the time I'm being... Jesus is testifying about what it's like to be in... To have Pentecost, the fullness of the Spirit in your life. He says, all the time I'm being sourced by the Father. Oh, during that whole time, the Father's in my eye. And the whole time the Father's in my eye, something else is going on. We on track? So all the time I'm being sourced by the Father. Oh, during that whole time, always, the Father's in my eye. And all the time the Father's in my eye, something else is going on. What is it that's going on? Where is it going on? He addresses that, verse 26. In my heart. You know the heart concept. Leviticus 17, 11. The Jews believe that the life is in the blood. If you believe that the life is in the blood, then obviously the life comes out of the heart and comes back to the heart. And the source, the pump, the place where life flows is the heart. I don't know what you want to call that, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call that, but the center point of your existence that produces you, that is what they referred to as the heart, the inner spirit itself. I love this quote that's given in 1 Peter chapter 3. The reason I like this quote so much is because it gives it to the women. So it's one verse I don't have to worry about. I think. First Peter 3. Verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. That bothered me. Because this is the verse we, base, we use as the basis for, you better get yourself cleaned up, women. Quit wearing that jewelry. Get that lipstick off your lips. You paint yourself like a bar. And he says, this is King James now. He says, do not let your adornment be merely like, we want you to do that. You look much better. But in addition to that, so you don't suppose we've missed it all this time. Oh, my. This is awful, isn't it? That's totally beside the point. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. 
with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. <laughs> that beautiful? So they were talking, that's the same thing he's talking about in our passage. It's this inner person of the heart. So Jesus is saying, oh, I want you to get this. See, all the time I'm being sourced by the Father, all that time the Father's in my eye. Focus. And all the time the Father's in my eye, oh, something is going on down in the depth of my inner being, the heart of my being, the source of my life, what produces me and makes me who I am. It's happening there. What is it that's happening? Therefore, my heart rejoiced. Now, if you have the NIV, it says glad, which is in the next line in my translation. Uh, they switched the rejoice and the glad. Don't worry about it. It's all okay. Therefore, my heart, since I'm reading this translation, we'll use my translation. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. Now, the Greek word for rejoiced, oh, it's two words put together. It's not the word the apostle Paul uses in Philippians. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. That's not the word, whole different concept. Uh, Jesus used the word rejoiced in the persecution beatitude thing. And in the persecution beatitude, he said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. That's not this concept, altogether different. This concept is two words put together. Well and mind. Oh, well mind. Wouldn't it be great to have a well mind? How you doing? My mind's well. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> In a society where we're pulling ourselves, oh, we're pulling out our hair. Oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm high. Oh, I'm, oh, I can't stand life. In a society where we're wrestling with all sorts of problems and anxieties and attacks and oh, wouldn't it be great to, oh, got a well mind. A well This word is used 14 times in the New Testament. Just 14 times. Well, mind. Just 14 times. Six of those times, it's translated Mary. M-E-R-R-Y, like Merry Christmas, Mary. I didn't know what Mary meant, so I looked it up in the English dictionary. It means high-spirited fun. So Jesus says, all the time I'm being sourced by the Father, the Father's in my eye. And all the time the Father's in my eye, oh, down deep inside, I've got this, oh, well, mine, everything's okay. I've got this contentment. I've got this high-spirited fun going on. I've got this party going on. I've got this, woo, get out the diet seven up, blow the party whistle, get the hat on, woo, isn't this great? Oh, everything's good. Going on down inside. Now, here's what's really interesting about the word merry or well-mind, this rejoiced word. Here's what's really interesting. It's very important in the concept. Every time it shows up, all 14 times in the New Testament, every single time, it's always found happening in a group or more than one. In other words, you can't have this by yourself. This is a relational term. In other words, if you're going to have be merry, if you're going to have a well mind, it has to be in the context of intimacy, of relationship with someone else. You can't have this by yourself. 
What would you do last night? I just stayed home by myself and had high-spirited fun. No, you can't do that biblically. Not this word. Whatever you did, hey, have at it. But you didn't do this word. This word requires somebody else, which I could really go off on. Because, see, the reason we get together on Sunday morning and the reason we get together tonight is, woo, we came to have high-spirited fun. That was a letdown, wasn't it? Isn't that neat? And we do that as the body of Christ. Oh, I need you to have high-spirited fun. I can't do it alone. That's neat. But in the context of our passage, now, it's happening between Jesus and the Father. Jesus and the Father. Let me give you a couple places where this word is used. Prodigal son scene. You remember it? Prodigal son, oh yeah, got his inheritance, went off to the riotous land, blew the whole thing, and when he got done, he ended up in a pig pen, which in Indiana would be a great thing, but not, not, in, not in Jewish context. This is terrible. This is a picture of the lowest or the best that sin can do for you. I mean, when you've worked your way through the sin business and it's had all of its results and brought you to the conclusion, when sin has brought you to its conclusion, pig pen. This is where you are. And what appeared here and what appeared here, when it works its way out and comes to its conclusion, pig pen. And can you see him? He's got his bedroll laid out. He's got his toothbrush. He's got his hair dryer. He's got his brush. He's got, he can have breakfast in bed. It's neat. He just reaches over, grabs a hole of the old corn cob. The mother sow's been chewing on, chews on a little at himself. He's the pig boy. He's covered with pig scum, smells like a pig, looks like a pig, grunts like a pig, acts like a pig. He must be a pig. He's the pig boy. This is the best. This is an awesome concept. This is the best sin can do for you. In its conclusion, he comes to himself, oh, you know, and says, my dad has T-bone steaks at home that thick. I'm about to starve to death. I would be better off to go home and dig around in the kingdom trash than what I've got here. That's an awesome concept, folks. The best sin can bring in its conclusion doesn't even match the trash of the kingdom. When I found that out, I bought a trailer and became kingdom trailer trash. (laughs) That's phenomenal. He threw his coat over the backs of the pigs, jumped the fence, headed home. You know the story. Oh, the father ran out, embraced him, kissed him on his pig scum nose. Hey, embraced him, put the ring on his finger, robe on his shoulder. Whoa, break out the party, son. Man, man, crank it up. Rock and roll, baby. Hey, the fatted calf is killed. Put that thing on. Let's go. Blow the party whistle. Hey, get out the diet seven up. And the party was on, and it says they made this word. Mary. The elder brother. Been in the field. 
Milked the cows at 4 a.m., went out on the tractor. He's covered with the dust of the field. His dad wouldn't even have a farm if it wasn't for him. He's been so faithful. He comes in. What's all this noise? Your pig brother's back. Your dad's throwing a party. They're making merry. Oh, come on in. No. His dad comes out. His son come in. And his, this boy says, you never even gave me a goat. <laughs> to make merry with my, this word, with my friends. See, you can't do this word alone. Now, again, and in the context of our passage, he's not talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about, oh, I'm trying to explain Pentecost to you. Do you get it? See, Pentecost, what's that like? Oh, it's like Jesus. What was going on on Jesus? Oh, the Father in Jesus. Jesus was filled with the essence of the Spirit of God. And they got so intimate that you know what happened? Oh, he was sourced by the Father in his life, sourced by the Father in his death, sourced by the Father in his resurrection. In fact, he was, oh, the Father was in his eye. In fact, the Father was, oh, that down deep inside there was this embrace that brought this well mind, this, this contentment, this life is good, that circumstances could not shake or disturb, that you could nail him on a tree and he could still hang on to this, that the garden, gardens of Gethsemane could not upset, that Pharisees threatened him, couldn't break this content, that something was going on inside of Jesus in the intimacy of the Father. How do you describe it? Something that spills out of that, oh, he's in my eye, I'm in such intimacy, that it brings a inside. I want you to look at one other verse with me. It's Acts chapter 7, verse 41, actually. And I want you to see it because Stephen is preaching at that point, the first martyr and... uh, he is preaching to the Hellenistic Jews, and he's walking through the history of Israel and uh, giving them uh, insight. And finally, he's reached the point in his sermon in Acts chapter 7. He's reached the point where he's talking to them about, about Moses and the law and all of that that went on. And while Moses was getting the very law of God, Aaron was down there, and under the pressure of the people of Israel, he... Uh, took their golden jewelry and melted it down and made this golden calf. And he's giving that to them. And if you go to Acts chapter 7, look at this verse. Oh, look at this verse. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to an idol. Get the impact. He's saying to them, look, they were, God, Moses was in the very presence of God. God was doing one of the greatest things he'd ever done in Israel's history. He was establishing Israel as a nation. He was giving them his law, which was his heart. He was laying the whole thing out for them. He was setting it all up. This was a key, overwhelming moment in the history of Israel. And at that very moment when God was doing this big deal... You know what these brain-dead people were doing? They were down there in the base of the mountain. They took their golden jewelry, melted it down, made this calf, danced around that dumb calf, danced around, made sacrifices to this calf. You believe? A bunch of... 
look at the rest of the verse. He says, if you think that, that was bad, and it was. If you think that was horrible, and it was. If you're horrified by that, and you should be. He says, they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced. That's our word. Rejoiced in the works of their own hands. He says, you know what they did? They based their inside contentment. They based their inside stability. They based their inside high-spirited fun. They based their well-mind. Everything's okay. You know what they based it on? Works of their own hands. Every time I read that, I get under conviction. Would you have the courage tonight to analyze with me how much of your, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with me, you deal with you, how much of my personal, oh, life is good. Everything's okay. I'm enjoying myself. How much of that in my life is based on the Instead of him. That's a hard assessment. See, when everybody whacks me on the back and says, oh, I loved your sermon. It is great. And the church is, whoo, and we're just, I feel, oh, life is good. But when you look at me cross-eyed and they spell my name wrong on the bulletin, what? <laughs> so is my inside contentment and life is good based on my, how well I perform? See, I don't know how to relate this for you. Relating it in my life, see, when, when, when the attendance is up, whoa. When it goes down, so am I basing my, see, when all the bills are paid and I've got the job and it's all, whoa, whoa yeah, whoa, man, whoa. I think I'll get a boat too. But when I lost my job and I don't have, and the bills aren't, and I got, oh. do you see that that's basing what's going on inside of me that's then based on? He says, come on, folks. He says, this 
this is to be all he saw. Oh, this is tough. He says, this is to be all Jesus is. I'm talking about Pentecost. Jesus is sourcing me. He's in my eye. And what's going on inside of me is not determined by what you do, not determined by my success, not be determined by the economy of the hour, not determined by how circumstances are or aren't, not determined by the attitudes of others. I do not react to you. I do not respond to your actions and your attitudes. I'm responding out of the pit of my system, which knows the intimacy of the Father, and He is determining my attitude. And if you want to get mad, fine. I'm not going to respond to your madness, only out of Him. Oh, is that possible? Is that possible? Is that possible? Is it so, it, can you be so intimate with Jesus that your response to what's going on around you is out of Him rather than out of what's going on around you? Is that possible? Is that possible? Oh, go back to Acts chapter 2. Look at the next statement, he said. Now, get the pattern. I'm trying to explain Pentecost to you. What's that all about? 120 have just received the fullness of the Spirit. What that's all about? Oh, same thing that was going on in Jesus. What was going on in Jesus? Well, he was sourced by the Father in his life, sourced by the Father in his death, sourced by the Father in his resurrection. What was that like? Jesus is testifying. He says, what's that like is, oh, while I'm being sourced by the Father, during that whole time, the Father's in my eye. And all the time, the Father's in my eye. Oh, down deep inside, he becomes responsible for the whole reaction, attitude, flow of what's going on inside of me. And the way I view life is, be, is be de being determined by him and me as we are embraced inwardly. And then he moves to this next statement. And my tongue was glad. <laughs> now, the tongue is an awful translation. In fact, if you look this passage up, even in the English, you go back to the book of Psalms and read it. It doesn't say tongue. It literally says glory in, the, in, in most translations. And, and it's the idea of countenance. So he's talking about this eye thing, this face thing again. And he says, so my countenance was glad. And glad is the Greek word that literally is, again, two words put together, meaning much to, much to leap. It's the word that's used again and again and again in the Old Testament for, wait for it, dancing! Oh, do you see it? So all the time I'm being sourced by the Father, the Father's in my eye. And all the time the Father's in my eye. Oh, in the depth of my heart, there's this, there's this high-spirited fun. There's this contentment. There's this, whoa, we're in the embrace. In fact, it's moved into my emotions and moved into my nervous system. In fact, oh, the Father's dancing in my face. I have a dancing face. Oh. Wouldn't that be something? A dancing face. I've threatened to video the services. Oh, not the preaching. Video the congregation. Send you a copy. <laughs> Let you see what you look like. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something to have a, woo, a dancing face? Man, look at the rest of this. Moreover, oh boy. 
brother. When I read that, I had to pick myself up off the floor. Moreover, what are you talking about? Moreover, you mean there's in addition to that? You mean after all of, hey, in my eye, a a high-spirited fun, uh, a dancing in my face, you got all this, whoa, what moreover, you've already stretched my rubber band to the breaking point. I mean, I've done about all I'm going to do. I mean, party hats and party whistles and diet seven up and rock and roll. Good night. Now I'm dancing in my face. What else could there be? Look at this. Moreover, my flesh. Everybody agrees. All Bible scholars agree that the flesh there refers to the physical body and that Jesus is referring to the resurrection and his death and resurrection. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. Now, it's a little misleading because the uh, idea of rest is literally pitch your tent. It's the idea of backing up to your house with a truck, loading everything up and coming down and dwelling. And, you're not, and where are you dwelling? You're not dwelling in hope. You're dwelling when the Father's in my eye, which gives you hope. So here's the pattern. All the time I'm being sourced by the Father, Jesus says, the Father's in my eye. And all the time the Father's in my eye, oh, down deep in my heart, there's this high-spirited fun. There's this, whoa, merriment going on. There's this well mind. Life is good. In fact, it's moved into my emotions, moved into my nervous structure in fact he's dancing in my face in fact my whole physical body is responding to this wow interesting isn't it you go to the doctor and say oh pain 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 he says how are you getting along with your wife bug off None of your business. Got any stress at your job? Why does he do that? Because he knows that there could be a connection between... That what's going on here affects... And folks, your physical body was not meant to live under the pressure that you're under. You're going to break down. It's going to show up. The stress level and the anxiety and the battles and the fighting and the bickering and the division and all of that. Your body was not... Created to live in that. You were, you were built to live oh, relaxed and leaning and oh, high-spirited fun. And so are you proposing, Manly, that we should live without stress? Yes! Good luck on that, brother. Good luck on that. Come on, come on, think it through, think it through. Where does stress come from? That's easy. Stress comes from ownership. I got a rental car to come up here. You know how many times I checked the oil? You know how many times I've looked at the tires? You know how many times I'm going to check the oil? I don't care. 
Why? It's not my car. <laughs> Woo! Let's go shopping. Okay, where are we going? Walmart. Where are you going to park? Right up here. It's awful tight. This will make it. It's a rental. I just bought this new BMW. Oh, love this car. Love this car. Oh, love this car. Don't slam the door when you get in. Oh. Hey, wipe your feet off before you. Oh. Let's go shopping. Where are we going? Walmart. Where are you going to park? Out there. <laughs> See what ownership does to you? So what would happen, folks, if you never owned anything? Whoa! See, you come to me and say, oh, pray for my kids. Pray for my kids. Pray for my kid, my son. Pray for I say, okay, I will. Cool down. I will. I will. I'll pray for him. I'm not going to stay up all night, but I'll, I'll pray for him. I'll put him on my prayer list. Why aren't you... Not my son. <laughs> but manly, I got 15 teenagers. Get rid of them. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> you weren't physically meant to maintain one, <laughs> let alone 15. Don't own that thing, man. Don't see that's the whole fundamental. The old timers used to call it dying. Come to this altar and die so that you don't own anything. But it's my life. Get rid of it. You shouldn't have a life. It's to be his life lived in you. But this is my ministry. Don't have a ministry. It'll eat your lunch. Get rid of it. But it's my Sunday school class. Don't have one. Let him have the whole thing. Do you realize what that does to you, man? It's a release from within that you don't carry that. Why? Because it isn't yours. It isn't my life. It's his life. And this is, oh, this is, this is, I'm trying to explain Pentecost to you. What's this all about? Same thing that was going on in Jesus. Well, what's going on in Jesus? Oh, what was going on in Jesus was he's being sourced by the Father, sourced in his life, sourced in his death, sourced in his resurrection. What did that look like? Jesus says, oh, the Father's in my eye. And all the time the Father's in my eye. Oh, the Father's in my heart. And we're having this high-spirited fun and the contentment, the security of my life is based on the intimacy with the Father. In fact, it's moved into my emotions, moved into my nervous structure. He's dancing in my face. In fact, my whole physical being is responding. Jesus Lord, this is impossible. My, my fingers are so wrapped around the stuff of my life. And I'm not just talking materialism, God. I'm talking my dreams and my desires and my future and my retirement. And my, my fingers are so wrapped around. I can't. I give you permission tonight to pry my fingers loose. 
God, I'm so bad. I am so far off that I can't even surrender like I ought to. I'm incapable of it. So I'm going to fall at your feet. I have lived basing my inside contentment, my inside stability, my inside merriment. I've lived basing that on the works of my own hands. And how people treat me and what they say and the attitudes of others and circumstances all dictate my attitude, my actions, my... Jesus, give me yourself tonight in such a depth that I could be turned loose. Heads are bowed. Think of the impossibility of this. The whole response and movement of your life not dictated by what's around you but dictated by what's within you what are you going through what is it that's squeezing you Would you fall at his feet tonight? Would you let him do something impossible in you? Would you allow the tone of your life to be caused by him? What do you need to do in me tonight, Jesus? What do you need to change in my life? Please do it. Dance in my face. moments of seeking alders open you're not going to sit there in that pew tonight and act like you don't need this are you the obedient